All right. Hey, good morning, Three Circle Church. Great to be with you guys today and all of our campuses joining us right now. We have Thomasville Campus. We have Midtown Mobile Campus, Daphne, and all of the folks joining us online. It's great to be with you as we jump back into and continue our series on the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And what I want to do is before we dive in, just kind of bring us all up to speed. Some of you may be new with us. Maybe you weren't here the first couple of weeks. And I want to make sure that you kind of know where we're coming from. So first of all, the high priestly prayer of Jesus is not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, Jesus gave us to pray to the Father, but he would have never prayed that prayer because it asked God to forgive us of our sins. He never would have asked God to forgive him of sin. So that was a prayer that Jesus gave us to pray. But the high priestly prayer is Jesus' prayer. It's the prayer that he, the eternal Son of God, prayed to his eternal Father. So the high priestly prayer is a prayer that you and I could never pray as well. We could not pray this prayer, but Jesus allows us to hear it. He wanted us to hear him pray this prayer. He wanted us to hear him pray for us. We learn so much about Jesus by listening to this prayer. And so that makes this the greatest prayer that's ever been recorded. And I will remind you that through this prayer, we are hearing the infinite Son pray to the infinite Father in the presence of the infinite Spirit, the triune Godhead. This is an unbelievable place in scripture. Martin Luther called it the greatest of all the scriptures. The Puritans preached from it more than any other place in the Bible. This is the deep water of the pool. So we're swimming on the deep end of the pool, y'all. We got to take the floaties off, all right? That's what we're doing. Are y'all ready to do that again today? All right, so we're going to dive in. And I'll remind you that this, this prayer reminds us of just how great Jesus is. And I think sometimes we have a dangerous familiarity. Sometimes we forget just how great Jesus is really is. And so I remind you, when I was a kid, I watched The Wizard of Oz. Let me remind you of this illustration because I think it's helpful. And you know, you had Dorothy and you had the lion and the scarecrow and the tin man who did not have a heart, uh, supposedly. And, and you remember they're wanting to see the wizard and the wizard, everyone says it's great and he can help them. And he can do all these things. But when they get there, they do see the image of the wizard and he's scary and big and mighty. And you think, oh man, He's scary, but I bet he can help us. But remember little Toto. you got to love Toto. He runs around the corner. He pulls back the curtain. And what does he reveal? That the wizard is nothing but one big letdown. He's nothing but an old guy pulling some levers. That's all he is. He can't help them. When they saw who the wizard really was, he was less than they imagined. The high priestly prayer pulls back the curtain on the living God, and we find not that he's less than we ever imagined, we find he's infinitely greater than we ever imagined. We find that Jesus is bigger and more awesome and more majestic and more powerful than we could have ever imagined him to be. That's why this is good, because I think it's good for us in a modern world to remember that our God is greater than we could imagine, that we can worship him, that we can serve him. We need to be reminded of that And this prayer does that. Let me remind you of when the prayer took place. Jesus and his disciples had just had the Last Supper. And they are leaving the Last Supper. And they're headed to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will be arrested. On his way, it would have looked a lot like this. They would have been walking in the dark. Someone would have had a torch. They didn't have flashlights. And as they're walking through the trail to get to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus keeps stopping and teaching his disciples. But one time, John says, he stops and he does not teach them. Instead, he looks to heaven and he begins to pray. And he had never prayed like this in their presence. They would see him go off and pray, but they never got to listen to him pray. But this night they did. 
And then later, the Holy Spirit brought it all back to John's mind to write down for us. We call that the inspiration of Scripture. And so we have this incredible prayer. Jesus is about to be arrested and be crucified. He has just instituted the Lord's Supper, and he prays this prayer. We're going to jump into the middle of it. Remember, this is week three of the series. Let's read the section of the prayer that we're going to look at today. Beginning in verse 11, he says to his father, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. All right, let's dive in. Again, deep waters, lots going on here. The first thing you hear, we've been, we've been hammering this nail for two weeks. You hear Jesus speaking as the infinite, timeless Son of God to his infinite, timeless Father. They are speaking, Jesus is speaking in a way that you and I would not normally speak because he's talking about time in a way that a timeless being would speak of it. Like this, he says, I'm no longer in the world, to which we all go, yes you are. (laughs) He says to his father, I'm no longer in the world. He's clearly standing in the world. He's still here. He's not resurrected yet. He's not going back to the Father. This is an infinite being talking about time in a way that you and I simply cannot. Jesus here in his infinity is saying, I'm before time, after time, below it, above it. There is no tomorrow. There is no tonight. Jesus is infinite, and he's talking to his Father in that way. And he's letting the disciples hear it. And I'm sure they're going, wow, that's something else. Because you and I, I mean, you're, you're on the clock. You're thinking... Chris, better hurry up. I'm getting hungry. Some of you are getting hangry, right? You're on the clock. We're all getting older. I'm not getting any younger. 44 and holding? Nope, not holding. 45's coming for Pastor Chris. More gray hairs and all of that. It's coming. The clock's ticking, but Jesus is spinning. I want you to remember this. Jesus is fully human and fully God. This is something to remember. We call this in theological circles the hypostatic union. What does that mean? Because we get this mixed up in church. You need to know who Jesus is. Jesus was not part God and part man. Jesus had always been the eternal son. He's all over the Old Testament as the eternal son of God. But on Christmas, which we celebrate, we call it the incarnation, Jesus did not stop being God to become a man. He also did not give up some of his Godship to become some of a man. He remained fully God and he added. So it's not subtraction. It's not multiplication either. I'll show you in a moment. It's addition. Jesus being fully divine and God added to his divine nature a human nature. He is fully God and fully man and the two do not intermingle. 
So he's not fusion. Let me explain to you what I mean. One of my favorite places to eat is a place called Dragonfly. Anybody know the joys of Dragonfly in this room? Now let me tell you. Let me tell you about Dragonfly for a second. I love Dragonfly. You go to Dragonfly, you sit down. For instance, recently I had a taco, if you want to call it that. But you can't really call it that because I had a taco that had fried oysters in it. Can I get an amen? With Asian cabbage and an Asian Thai sauce on it. So you can look at that and you go, well, is that Mexican food? Or is it Asian food? Or is it southern coastal seafood? And the answer is yes. <laughs> because it's fusion, right? They all blended. That is not how you are to look at Jesus. Jesus is not a fusion of God and man. His natures did not fuse. He is one person with two natures. If your brain is hurting right now, we call that worship. <laughs> fully God, fully man. That is why Jesus, you're going to see. The reason that truth is important for you to grab onto is because what I'm going to teach you today that this prayer shows you, only Jesus could be what he's about to tell you he is. Only he could do what he's about to tell you he's going to accomplish for us. So remember, as we do that, it's going to be hard for us to fully understand, and that is because we're finite creatures. We keep reminding ourselves, bound by space and time, he was not. Why was he not? Well, he willingly bound himself to time in his humanity. He got on the same calendar you and I are on while retaining his divinity. And he forever will be. He didn't unwind that thing. He forever is fully God and fully man. So let's dive in. He speaks to his father in this way, and then in verse 12, he begins to show us who he is. Listen to the language. I was with them. I kept them. When he says them, he's talking about the 11 disciples and all of us, all true believers. He says, I keep them. Watch this language. I guard them. Not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. Talking about Judas. We'll discuss that in a moment. What is Jesus saying about himself in this prayer here? That he is, watch this, our mediator. Write that down. Jesus is our mediator now. And he's saying here that he's representing us before the Father. He's now praying for us. And this is what Jesus does. If you wonder what Jesus does for us now, he prays for us. He prays for all of you if you're a true believer. He sees you with this kind of affection, this kind of love. He keeps you. He guards you. Think about that for a second. When I was a kid, I basically had Rambo for a dad. My dad was a police officer and a fireman, and he did all this stuff. He always built like a Mack truck, and I always knew my dad was kind to us, but he had that mean streak in his eyes. I could just see it. I'm like, mm -hmm. I know, you know, there, it's there. And, and when my dad had to do the night shift, I can remember as a kid, I was always nervous because I thought, you know what? Someone could come in the house and hurt us. And it just kept me a little nervous as a kid. But when my dad was home, I would sleep like a baby because I was like, it doesn't matter what comes through that door, my dad's badder than it. You know what I mean? My dad's got me. I'm telling you, I got Rambo for dad. And as a kid from the 80s and the 90s, if Rambo was your dad, you were totally fine, okay? <laughs> and so I just, it just relaxed me to know he's got me, I'm good. I got nothing to fear, right? Listen, 
as a child of God, it's just so encouraging. That the good theology is encouraging us. Bad theology is just bad. When you hear that God will just give you everything you want, he's a genie in a bottle in heaven, he's just a granddad, just pull on his beard, give you whatever you want, all that. In your heart, you know it's not true, and you realize this is bogus. This isn't real when you hear that stuff in American Christianity over and over again on TV and all that. But real theology, real biblical theology is endlessly joyful for us as Christians, isn't it? And one of these truths is this. Yes, yes, listen. One of the truths is this. As a Christian, I am guarded by Jesus. Jesus has me. Jesus is guarding me. Jesus is keeping me. It's really good news since I just have been reminded that Jesus is fully God and fully man. That's who he is. He's our mediator. And the Bible tells us what kind of mediator he is. Remember, the mediator for Israel was always the high priest. And the high priest, let me remind you, every year went into the Holy of Holies, represented the people. He was their mediator. But why? What made Jesus different? Why were the high priests never able to complete the job? They only half did the job. They couldn't complete it. Why? Because they were just like the people they represented. They were just humans. And that made them also sinners. So they would go in and kill a calf or kill a goat and sprinkle the blood, but it never finished the job. Never. That's why they had to come back and do it year after year. And then when that high priest died, you'd have to go get another high priest. But Jesus is now our high priest. He's done the job, and the Bible tells us what kind of high priest he is. In Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. This is good news. But we have one in every respect who's been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Paul says, here's the kind of high priest you have. Now, this is good news. This is what I want to remind you of today. The gospel is such good news. When you mess up, when you have a down day, a hard day as a Christian, you are not surprising Jesus. He's not like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Remember, Peter, after this prayer, Peter's going to deny Jesus three times the next morning. And Jesus was not surprised by that. How do you know that, Chris? I'm glad you guys asked. Because if you read about the Last Supper, you will realize at the Last Supper, over a glass of wine, a piece of bread, and some olive oil, that Jesus looked at Peter and said, Hey, pal, right now Satan is before the Father, and he is asking for you, and he's coming for you, and you're not going to make it. You're not going to handle this well. Remember, Peter said, I'll never deny you. Now remember, how is Jesus speaking to him as a human yet can see what's happening in the throne room of God. Jesus was fully, come on, let's talk theology. He's fully human and he's fully God. That's why when Nathaniel, one of the disciples, when he first met Jesus, he comes up to Jesus and he says, Hi, Jesus, and they introduce Nathaniel and Jesus says, I know you, I could see you. You were standing, you were sitting under a tree studying the word. I could see you doing that. And if you remember, Nathaniel's like, Whoa, wait a minute. How could Jesus sit under a tree and yet see Nathaniel somewhere else because he was fully man and he's also fully God. And he didn't give up being God to be a man and he, didn't, he wasn't less man because he was fully God. Okay, This is all good news and the Bible tells us he's not surprised as a high priest. He knew we were going to be messed up. He knew how hard you were going to be to deal with and you do know you're hard to deal with, right? If you don't believe that, ask anyone who knows you. It's true of me too. (laughs) And I'm a pastor. And I'm hard to deal with. 
and I messed it up. And God is not surprised. He knew you were going to be a project. He knew you were going to be hard to deal with. Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him, and yet he was his high priest and loved him. And here before his father, he says, I love them. I am guarding them. I've got their back. I represent them. They're mine. It's really good news. He's our mediator. Listen to this, Hebrews 9, 12. Again, this is astoundingly majestic scripture. This tells you what Jesus did. He, Jesus, entered once and for all. So everything you're about to hear is something the regular priest could not do. He entered once and for all, right out of the gate. The other priests had to do it over and over again, not Jesus. Once and for all. He didn't go into the earthly temple, holy of holies. He went into the holy place. That's where the Father actually is. With the cherubim and the fire and the thunder coming from the throne. No other priest could go there, but Jesus did. Look what it says. And not by the means of the blood of a goat or a calf, but by his own blood. And he did something that no other priest could do. He secured eternal, two words that other priests couldn't do. They never secured anything, and what they did was temporary. Jesus secured eternal redemption for us. What this means is Jesus is our one-time, for all-time, high priest and mediator. You never need another one. Every four years here in the United States, we usher in and elect a new administration. And it gives us whiplash, doesn't it? I mean, we couldn't get more extreme than the last two administrations we've had, right? One end of the spectrum to the other. And it wasn't, we literally say that America can look different every four years. And we go, well, I don't even know how to depend on anything. You really can't. But I'll tell you what, as Christians, as Christians, 2,000 years ago, something happened that never has to happen again. Jesus said it's finished on the cross for a reason. Why? Because now we have one high priest who forever has secured in himself our salvation, and it never has to be done again, ever, ever. That is why at Three Circle Church, you will find great kids' ministry, great music, Okay, preaching sometimes. Everything else is great, though, but one thing you won't find at three circles, dead goats and dead sheep laying around the parking lot. I'm happy about that, aren't you? Because I like goats and sheep. They're cool. You you want to know why we don't do that? They did. All the other believers had to before Jesus. We don't have to do that. Why? Because Jesus was both the high priest and the sacrifice. He's the only priest that when he walked into the Holy of Holies, he didn't bring a lamb or a goat with him. He was the lamb and the high priest. God fully, man fully. That's who he was. This is why we, the verse there is a clerical error in your handout. It really should be this verse. So the Timothy verse is wrong. This is the real one. For there's how many gods? We believe in one God. And one mediator between God and mankind. Now, how can there only be one God and then there's also this mediator who we know would, must be God too? Well, here's how. One of the distinct persons of the Trinity stepped out of eternity into time to become the mediator between God and mankind. And who is he? He is the man. He's human. He's Christ, son of God, Jesus, son of man who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. So we just don't appreciate Jesus as much as we should. But when you start digging in, you go, oh my goodness, Jesus is greater than we ever imagined. He's our one-time mediator. And we need him. Listen, humans need a mediator. 
Don't forget this. We need him. You don't want to stand in front of a holy God in the courtroom of heaven one day on your own. You're not qualified. The accuser will eat your lunch. You don't know the law language well enough. You're not qualified to represent yourself in that courtroom. But you don't have to. Those who have given their lives to Jesus will be represented in eternity by him. He's got you. You don't even have to testify for yourself. When you walk in, you may be tempted to, well, and there's, that's what you're going to get. But I was just, I got this. He's with me. She's with me. He's with me. She's with me. That's how that's going to go. It's going to be real good. Maybe we should start thanking him now for it. That's what this is. That's what church is. We're just getting an early start. That's what worship is now. That's what we do when we sing. We're just getting an early start on thanking Jesus for what he has done, will do, and will always do for us as our high priest. That's what we do. We need a mediator. Jesus also points out that Judas, there's 11 and 1. Why did, did, because Jesus says here, I'm keeping them and guarding them who you've given to me. So why not Judas? Why didn't he keep Judas? It's real simple, because Judas was never with Jesus. Judas, Jesus didn't lose Jesus, and Jesus didn't lose Judas, because Judas was never with Jesus. He never believed in Jesus. You can go back and read the Gospels, you'll see signs of his disbelief in Jesus. He was mad that the woman poured the perfume on Jesus' feet because of how much money it cost, what a waste that was. Well, then he obviously doesn't know who Jesus is. He never believed in Jesus. But Jesus is clear that the other 11 did. And he says, I'm keeping them. And that's true of all real disciples and real believers. He says, I'm keeping them. I have a grip on them. See, true believers are always kept in the grasp of Jesus. True believers, the guys will put that on the screen for us. True believers are always kept in the grasp of Jesus. That's good news. Let me tell you why that's important. So I've got three kids. They're all big now, but when they were little, we went everywhere with our kids. We believe they should be integrated in our lives. So we've surfed in Costa Rica when they were little. We've done mission trips. We've been to New York City several times with them when they were real little. So with our travels and everything we've done, I would always look at my kids before we went into busy streets or into the ocean or into these places, into foreign countries, and I would say, hey, you hold daddy's hand. You do not let go of daddy's hand. Yes, daddy. (laughs) And they would say it sincerely. I'd look at him, you got me? We're going out there. Don't let go. Hey, we're going out into that ocean in Costa Rica. You don't let go of me. You hold daddy's hand. I got you, daddy. I'm not going to let go of your hand. Now, here's the deal. They were never hurt. They never got pulled. My kids never got run over. They never got pulled out into the ocean. They're still here, alive and well. Let me give you a little secret, though. Their safety had nothing to do with them holding on to my hand. It had everything to do with me holding theirs because let me tell you about my kids when they would look at me and go yes daddy I don't know what that impression is I'm doing they don't sound like that (laughs) but when they would say yes five seconds later they're letting go of my hand right I could feel it we'd go walking and first I got you daddy I'm not letting go oh a car (laughs) letting go oh something cool look at the buildings oh the ocean it's a jellyfish and I can feel their little hands letting go of my hand. They, just like they get distracted, they let go. 
And see, we've got this idea, we're holding on to Jesus. My friend, you let go of Jesus all the time. The good news is, Jesus never lets go of you. And will never let go of you. And will keep you. And will guard you. No matter what you go through, Jesus will not let go of you. Peter's going to let go of Jesus the next morning three times. But let me tell you some good news. Jesus never let go of Peter. And he never let go of John. And he never let go of Matthew. And he will never let go of you. He keeps us. He guards us. That's what a mediator does. The grip of Jesus on us is far greater than our grip on him. Now, religion will tell you, no, you need to work on the grip. Hold him tighter. And I'm just telling you that the beauty of the gospel is we are prone to wander. But our king and our Lord with a nail-scarred grasp, never lets go. Never lets go. Be encouraged in that today. Some of you think you've gone too far. My friend, if you're a true believer, that is not possible. Jesus is going to see you through. He's not letting go of you. Peter would have felt like he was a total failure, but he didn't surprise Jesus. Jesus never let him go. This is why we believe Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What good work did he begin in you? Your salvation. And if you're really a Christian, he's going to finish the work. And you think, man, I don't know. He does. He does know. He's going to get you there. He's going to get you across the finish line. And you know what? One day you're going to die and we're going to bury you and do a nice funeral service, sing some good songs. We'll sing Only Imagine. All those songs we like to do at funerals. And your eyes are going to open and you're going to realize that Jesus' grip on you was greater than your grip ever was on him. That's how good he is. That's how great he is. And believers get to experience this. Jesus next says, isn't it interesting, after he reminds you that he's holding tight to you and he won't let you go, he says he wants you to have joy. That's because that truth is what enables you to have real joy. And the next thing he says in verse 13 is, I want them to have my joy. He says, I want my joy fulfilled in them. Let me just remind you of this. For you to have the joy that Jesus wants you to have, you must see the Christian life in relational terms rather than religious terms. If it's religion for you, there's no joy in that. That's a rule book. Has anyone ever been excited to open a rule book or an instruction manual? Like if you see the Bible as an instruction manual, that is such a low view of the Word of God. Right? Like I bought one of the, a really good blender here recently because I like good smoothies. I, when I got home, I wasn't tearing into the box. I cannot wait to read that instruction manual in 14 different languages. I can't wait to read 14 paragraphs on how to plug it into the wall. No, I couldn't wait. Now, the problem is sometimes I need to read the instructions, right? And I get some things wrong, but, you know, we figured all that out. There's no joy in that. No, man. But when I realize it's relational, when I realize I have a relationship with Jesus and that he loves me, this is why, as a kid, I could never, I, I, I couldn't wait to get to my grandparents' house. Because before my finger could ring the doorbell or knock on the door, that door was flying open, and two people who loved me was wrapping me up in their arms because they couldn't wait to see me. It was relational, therefore it produced joy. 
It wasn't like, I got to go see my grandparents again. They're getting old. No, I couldn't wait. I would fly down the driveway on my bike. Couldn't wait to get there because it was joy. Don't look at Jesus through the eyes of religion. Look at Jesus through the eyes of relationship. And you will enjoy him forevermore. John 10.10, Jesus said, look, the enemy wants to steal from you and destroy you, but I came for you to have life and have it abundantly. My friends, joy is a gift from God. It's a gift for us to enjoy him. And isn't it interesting that Jesus wants you to understand his keeping power before he introduces the concept of his joy? Because you can't have that joy unless you truly believe he's got you and he's keeping you. Next, in verse 14, he goes on. He says, I've given them your word and the world hates them because they're not of the world. What does this mean? What's Jesus talking about? About all real Christians. We, if we follow Jesus, we're going to change radically. All real Christians experience radical change. And it's progressive. Peter, the next morning, will deny Jesus three times, but fast forward two months, and he's preaching in front of thousands of people, and they're all getting saved. It's so powerful. He's afraid of his own life. Two months later, he's not afraid of anything. What does that show you? The progressive nature of change in Christ Jesus that he can do in our lives. And what Jesus says here is, as they change in my power, they will look more and more different from the world, and the world will hate them for it. He sees it coming in his infinity. He sees what's coming for those 11 and for all of us. See, true Christianity both attracts and repels. Don't ever forget that. True Christianity will attract some, will repel even more. And like the old preacher I grew up with that would always say, if you never run into the devil, you're both going the same direction. It's so simple. There's never any opposition. There's never any pushback. Think about it. So you will listen. The more you look different from the world, it doesn't happen overnight. Peter, it didn't happen overnight. It was progressive. But you'll look more and more different from the world. You're going to forgive people quicker. You're going to love people more. You're going to be less dramatic about everything. I mean, you're just going to look different. People are going to want you to get upset about stuff. Sorry, I have a high priest who represents me, and I just don't get that worked up over stuff. Christians just start, and, and the world oh, hates that. That'll happen for us. And he prays that in the middle of that we'll be prepared for it and not surprised by it. He even goes on in verses 15 and 16 to say, I'm sending them into the world just like you've sent me in the world. And I don't want you to take them out of the world. To which we all say, please take us out of here. Have you ever had those days where you're like, please? You know? It's like when you're, if you're a Christian as a young person, you think... Jesus, please, just uh, let, let me get married before you return and take us all. I just want to get married. Then you get married, and you go, Lord, please don't come back until we have kids. And then you have kids, you're like, come back. Please. And I think, 
I think many of us right now are probably like, please come and get us. And Jesus says, no, no, I don't want you to take them out of the world. Why? Because Christians are people on mission. That's what he's saying. I'm sending them into the world. I want your power with them, your joy with them. I want them to know I'm for them. I want them to know I'm guarding them, but I want them in the world. That means he wants you, lawyers, to do your thing as a Christian attorney. He wants you doctors out there on the field. He wants you teachers out there doing your thing. He wants us to go out into the world so that the world can see what a real Christian looks like. That's why. Jesus prays for us to be distinct and different from the world. He doesn't want us to blend in. He wants that for us. It's part of the mission. And to that end, in verse 19, he says, I'm going to die, I'm consecrating myself, so that they, the 11 and the rest of us, can be more like him. We can get into this process. He calls it sanctified. Sanctification is a process by which we become more and more like Jesus. That's what that is. Jesus says, I'm dying. He's praying for us. And he's saying, and I want them, as they trust me and then grow in me, I want them to just look more and more like me. And the world will hate them for it, but I want them to walk with me and become more like me. And so today, as we look at this majestic truth, my prayer is, church, that you would both embrace, that you'd believe what we've talked about as Jesus is our mediator, and that you would appreciate Jesus as our mediator. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word today. May we hear it, believe it, and live it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.